to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today, I'm thrilled to have a good friend of mine on. Joe Zam and I have known each other for, oh gosh, Joe, what is it, about a decade? And it is uh, really wonderful to have you on the show, Joe. You have had such an amazing, amazing trajectory with your real estate career. And I'm going to jump right in and ask how a boy from Philly ends up in Turks and Caicos. Well, I think it's a great question. Uh, I was a law student at uh, Villanova University uh, outside Philadelphia. While I was in law school, I had what I call my dream drawer. And in my dream drawer, a bunch of ski magazines. So I went out to Colorado on a ski vacation and I had read about uh, how the ski business was evolving into a much more professionally run operation with Fortune 500 companies and Fortune 50 companies buying them and running them. It was much different back then. They were mom and pops mostly. So I uh, went into Keystone's office and met their attorney, uh, their staff counsel, and became the, uh, what they call the skiing attorney back east. Uh, and I did that for four years. I was their staff attorney and counsel. And then uh, while I was there, I entered an MBA program that was run by Denver University called the Peak MBA Program for the resort managers and really loved it and realized that the, the legal aspect was much too narrow for me. And then while I was out there, uh, I had no intention to leave. I loved it out there. The lifestyle was great. Uh, I was you know, young and tons of fun out there. Uh, a friend, my lifetime friend, approached me about a piece of land they were purchasing in the Turks and Caicos Islands. And this was in 1988. Wow. And le let me say in 1988, Turks and Caicos was pretty third world. Uh, with uh, They had a Club Med and a bunch of dirt roads and VHS radio. <laughs> uh, and three flights a week on Pan Am, uh, four, four times a week if you were lucky. Uh, and I went down there in, in March, of, uh, uh, March of 1989 uh, for uh, the longest three-year gig of my life, I call it. And <laughs> I, I, was a, I was a jack of all trades, do-it-all property manager, owner's rep, uh, and, and salesperson. I was a... Uh, I was really there as an owner's rep to shepherd the project from, from construction through to, to completion and also to set up property management systems that did not exist down there. Uh, to give you an example, I hired a person as my reception, at my reception desk that, who had never had a phone in their home, and I hired wow. housekeepers who had never had running water. So it was uh, from the bare bones up. And it is really a phenomenal uh, experience to see how far the jurisdiction and country have come in 30 years. And as I told my, my, my great friend, Larry Klein, who has been, uh, who was Dick Clark's top producer for many years and still produces the American Music Awards and Good Rocking Eve, is that it didn't surprise me that we became, uh, you know, a something. It surprised me that we became such a recognized global brand internationally. Uh, the the local community, the government, and the business sector all stepped up in tandem and just have created this amazing thing internationally that you've experienced multiple times now. Absolutely. So here's what's really interesting, how life takes us on different journeys. So here you are a recovering attorney who is a ski buff and ends up controlling Turks and Caicos. So it's, it's, it's wonderful the way that 
really your spirit has just sort of allowed whatever opportunities life presented you to just lead with it. So I have a question. What's the greatest lesson you ever learned from one of your failures? There have been so many, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) We'll start with, we'll start on the personal failure aspect. And I really think that is, you know, if you're in this business for as long as I've been and you, and you experience various cycles is don't spend your personal money. Like every year is going to be your best year or a record year. Right. And I think we all learned pain. I just watched the movie, the big short, which is a great movie. Um, Yeah. Michael Lewis, one of my favorite writers. And, it's just that these cycles end. You don't know when they're coming. Even the most, even the smartest people in the world don't know. So we have to use good judgment with our personal finances. And that's, that's difficult to do when you're in my business because we deal exclusively with high net worth and ultra high net worth people, right? So you're always dealing with these people that are just incredibly wealthy. Right. And when and, and you say, my God, well, you know, man, that's a really nice fill. Yeah, that fill is five million dollars and you can't afford it. So I, I think it's very important to use prudence in, in your personal life when you're a broker and you're in our business and you have irregular income. Uh, I would say that my, my, my biggest business failure is a very, very simple one. You know, we've heard a lot, especially with the advent of Compass, about how being a, a technology company, you know, that that you know sells real estate. And I really reject that notion. I think it's, I don't accept the proposition. Technology is a delivery tool for what we want to do and we communicate. And I had a very important client and a friend for many years. I had sold probably $125 million worth of his properties, uh, mostly a new development. And we had his home listed and we just sold a lot next door. And he was very impatient to sell his home. And we just did not stay in front of him enough. And we took for granted that he would stay with us. And he didn't. He fired me a week before Christmas, about five years ago. And my new, my new competitor uh, picked up his listing and I knew that the market was right to sell it. And they sold it in six months. Now they sold it within six, four months for $13 million. And the guy knocked it down, the new buyer. And it was interesting because we really kind of offended him by just saying, look, you know, this could be a knockdown, but we didn't do it in as graceful a way as we could have. So it was it was a huge loss at the time and really uh, probably the biggest gut punch I've had in my career, as well as my friend Nina Sigenthaler, who, who you also know well. Uh, it, but what it did, it drove us. It, it drove us. And that's what failure does. Failure is a step towards success. So when we got that gut punch, we, we then were invited to a competitive bid on the Oliver's Cove and Parrot Key, which you helped us with. Uh, and that's really where we, we developed our working relationship and it led us to really be motivated to win that listing from this very same company that was coming after our market. And we won that listing presentation with a, with a, a, a suggested price of 10 million less than our competition. And we successfully sold that. And I would say that of all the things that we've done to, to deliver our success, learning from that failure and using it as a driver was, you know, the most important lesson. You know, and Joe, that you said a lot in there that was actually so incredible. So really you learn from those failures to really attain greater success. You know, it was um, Thomas Edison uh, is quoted by saying, I just found 10,000 ways that didn't work. 
And so it was so great to sort of have that. But at the base of that, you're talking really about relationship and the idea of the um, relationship that has to be cultivated and nurtured, especially in our business. You talked about um, just actually, I just wanted to touch on one point um, because we talked about Compass and there is um, because Compass is not global at all. It's really just the idea of talking about competition, if you will, especially for the listeners of this podcast, which will be more global in nature. Um, So the idea of just a competitor coming in and trying to position themselves within the marketplace, it's something where the core value of relationship has to come back into play. The other thing that you talked about is really about that feast or famine idea. And in your case, with uh, being one of the principals of Turks and Caicos, Sotheby's International Realty, you have had for the last five years, uh, record years, and you control well over 50% of the market in many segments. How do you do that? What do you attribute to that success. And I think that it was great that you prefaced the fact of really humility and understanding that it's a feast or famine idea, but you're really continue to grow the business in such a record way. What do you attribute to that success? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I understand you recently spoke to uh, my friend, Stan Ponte, who has been I a, did, a, wonderful, yes. a, a wonderful colleague and we're part of his global network. And it's a relationship business. And within the context of that relationship business, we do transactions. And many people who, who, who seek to enter our market are interested in the transactions. You know? And where the relationship is king. And I could give you 25 examples in our career where we have walked away from money, uh, where we have given back commission, where we have not ever, uh, ever, ever uh, jeopardized a relationship due to any form of money issue, uh, whether it be a top-level developer, a vendor, a buyer, uh, in-house, whatever that might be. But I, but I think if you're looking at the building blocks, I would look at it. It's, it's talent, it's expertise, it's integrity and ethics, it's distribution, and it's brand. I think it's those five things where really talent plus integrity plus brand are the three main main pillars. And I think under talent, you know, you have leadership, management, support, and agents. Uh, we have strong leadership. Uh, I've been doing this a long time. I'm the dean of my profession in the Turks and Caicos. Look, I mean, we're a big company in Turks, but we're really a small to medium-sized business in the, in the context of the United States and, and North America. Uh, but, you know, but, but we have strong leadership. We have really good management. Uh, we have good support team. And then we have just wonderful agents. And these agents, I have never had an ethical issue come up in my, in my 11 years with the brand. Not one. I've had ethical issues on the other side, but I've never had an issue with one of my agents. I've had things that I don't like that they did that did not raise to ethical violations according sure. to our standards. But that was dealt with in-house and in a proactive manner. You know, and I think and part and with that talent, I think that talent has on a, on a management, leadership, uh, support, and agent level is that talent has to have product and market mastery. 
right? You have to be masters in your market. And that means that you need to know everything about your product, especially when you do new development products such as us and trophy listings. Uh, you have to know every, everything about it. And then you have to know about your market. You know, you need to understand and do your, do your, do your MLS study every day and look at your market reports. And that, that, that mastery is so important because people are relying on you and you need to deliver the goods in, in the area of your expertise. I think in terms of integrity, it's, you know, your ethics, honesty, follow-up, communication, uh, what you do in the community. That is the, most, that is the singular most important thing that one leads with their integrity and their ethics because that is built to last. That is not an ephemeral thing. That is something that, that you take with you your entire career uh, and beyond with your legacy. And you may lose business in the short term because you won't play ball with people who either go close to the line or over the line. Right. And that is something that we never, ever go close to the line. And I think just the basic thing uh, that helps, helps augment our, our, our talent and integrity and mastery of our, our product and market is our distribution. We have, we have one of the, we have probably the nicest building in Turks and Caicos. You've been in it a number of times. It's a flagship office that our partners, uh, Buddy Rigo and Karen Biker, Buddy has the Sotheby's Realty. They did a wonderful job developing. We've recently bought the building, and we're we're, we're settled up. We're, we're settled in there for uh, the next decade, uh, two decades plus. And so we have wonderful distribution with our flagship office, as well as having strategically located five star distribution points with our developers at at the Grace Bay Club, for example. Grace Bay's new property that they just bought, which is which is called Point Grace. Uh, and then with uh, the Palms, which is a Heartland Group development, uh, Grace Bay Resorts and Heartland Groups are probably the two top developers in Turks and Caicos. And then we get to the to the to the pillar that puts us over the top, and that's the brand, right? The Sotheby's International Realty brand. There's no peer in the luxury market for Sotheby's International Realty. Uh, it has allowed us and helped us go from a go from an an individual brokerage, which I was for 10 years with Conley's on Properties, where we did just new development to becoming a strong international brand that sells everything. And it's really uh, helped us greatly, Michael, especially with these prized properties such as uh, Oliver's Cove, which sold for $27.5 million with the land next door. It's helped us it's helped us to solidify in the top of the pyramid uh, in terms of the trophy properties and, and new development, as well as general brokerage. Uh, the brand has been wonderful for us. It's been a wonderful attractor pattern. Our, our luxury developers and clients love being associated with the brand. But we've also, after a number of years, really learned, and with your help, uh, have learned to leverage the brand and optimize the brand. Joe, you know, you talk about leadership and integrity and i know firsthand how you really personify that and nina siegenthaler your partner on island and i think it's also really interesting you come from a east coast mentality nina from a very european mentality i think that also has such a great mixture when you start looking at and you both have helped create Turks and Caicos over the last um, um, few decades, really, as an incredible brand that has attracted r incredible names. Um, you know, you have been the person that has handled 
some of the greatest celebrity sales on island and and really throughout um people like bruce willis and prince uh just to name a very select few what does it take what traits does it take to be a celebrity broker because that's a whole different realm right now that is you know you're dealing with someone who has a whole entourage around them there's a lot of gatekeepers there's a lot of trust factor there has to be someone who has what you were saying that integrity and that leadership and the ethics obviously but how do you actually get in and break in and become that celebrity broker i think you evolve into it you have to be a pro you know you have to be a real pro and in our business you know there there is a bit of fake it till you make it you know when people see that market they want to be a part of it and when I say you need to be a pro, I mean, you need, to, you need to have discretion. You need to have a bit of worldliness and class to you. Uh, you need to be 100% with your deliverables. And you can't let them see a sweat. You know? right. they, they have to believe that, you are, that your hand is not going to shake when you're representing them. And let me tell you, as you know from your experience with our one transaction, Right. right. That, that was some, the lesson of a lifetime, which really has, I mean, I still keep in touch with that vendor like once a year, you know, and I, said, hey, I said, Hey, you know, the Bruce Willis deal is Kate. Thanks a lot. <laughs> right? Thanks for preparing us. Right. But it's just, and it also is different, right? One time you're dealing with the person directly. And one time you're dealing with a business manager. You never meet the person, right? It just, they're all set up differently. But there's one thing that is interesting about the celebrity market. The celebrity market and the ultra high net worth market are pretty much the same thing, Michael. Yeah. I, had a, I had a high net worth client that had a great line to me because I was talking about the celebrity market. And he said, Joe, anybody with $100 million net worth thinks they're a celebrity. <laughs> they <laughs> That's are, very true. They are as much or more than... Because in that world, you're measured in many ways by your net worth. Sure. So somebody with $150 million net worth in their world is more of a celebrity than a celebrity with a $25 million net worth, the way that they look at the world, right? So yeah. I found that to be really interesting. And so I, it's not just the celebrity market. It's the high net worth market. You know, And that ultra high net worth market is just you have to act like you've been there. And we have been there. And then you have to operate with a level of discretion that is you know, in terms of, in terms of how you do your business, you know, you just can't go out and brag and puff and talk about these things because that it will come back. It will come back because that's just the, the nature of our business. So the combination of all of those, you know, of all of those factors and traits and attributes, I think certainly, certainly helps. But I, I think the one thing that celebrity clientele don't want is they don't want syncophats. You know, they don't want people who are wannabes. They don't want people who are going to trade on their name. We are very, we are very, you know, whether it be the, the, the Prince Estate, look at the Prince Estate listing and the Bruce Willis listing, we had their blessing. They wanted us to use their names. But sure. other times we, we have not been permitted to use the names. And that has impacted us negatively in terms of promoting the property. But we, we don't leak, you know, but as you know, Nina and I are very tight with our communication and absolutely, um, you know, as well as, you know, our support team. So, you know, we're very, very, uh, you know, we're very, very careful with that. No, Michael, it, it, it's so funny because 
the celebrity market, you create a halo effect that you become the broker that handles celebrities. So I was, I was in the States and I have an important friend who is a, a big international business person. And he called me up uh, and I was in Avalon, New Jersey, uh, where we've had, you know, a family short home for most of my life. And he said, Hey, I heard you sold Tom Cruise's house. <laughs> I'm like, no, we sold Bruce Willis's house. He's out. Ah, you know, what's the difference? And that's kind of, but that's kind of what it's like. You know, once you, once you are in the A-list uh, world, then people are, assume that you're doing other A-list worlds, especially those A-list people, right? And they want people with track record, uh, you know, who, uh, who have uh, experience in that market that they can trust and rely on. You know, what you're speaking about is so true. As you know, when I was selling real estate in Miami, I had a lot of celebrity clients. And it's actually once you get that first one and you close it, it becomes the fact that everyone else comes to you as your go-to. But it was interesting because we actually um, uh, shared a couple of celebrity clients that will won't uh, will keep the discretion. Um, but there was a um, an instance where I had a a strong celebrity client that came in. And the reason that I got that client is because the person he was working with before had put that leaked the information that he was looking to buy a home in Miami to the press and he lost him as a client. And so discretion is so key. There was another instance that um, when I was dealing with a lot of the high-end um, um, Russian billionaires that were buying in Miami at that point in time, because I came from a banking world, um, I knew a lot of them from my former career. And I remember that I was dealing with one particular client who was on the Forbes list and you know um, had sold him a very large home on Fisher Island. And then all of a sudden he had referred me to someone else and that person called me and said, so-and-so had asked me to call you. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't know who that is, but if you'd like some help with real estate, I'm happy to help you. And so he said, is this Michael Valdez? I said, it is. And you don't know so-and-so? I said, I'm sorry, I don't. And so <laughs> the next moment, I'm on a conference call with my client and this gentleman. And my client said, why didn't you say you knew me? And I said, you never gave me permission to. And it just changed that relationship where I had gained the trust of both of those clients, the one I had in my new client, instantly. And discretion is so important, and it's exactly what you're saying, and it's really building that. Um, so I think that's a really interesting uh, point and one to really take to heart. Um, and so I have a question. Um, you're incredibly creative. And so you look at, you know, you, you uh, not only are you talented and you have your uh, you're, you're an accomplished singer and songwriter, and it's a great outlet for you. And I've heard you sing, and I've heard your stuff, and you're incredibly talented, and I love that creativity uh, about you. But you also bring creativity to the real estate world, and you are looking at a, at a problem. And I know that you mentioned a deal that we worked on before, and it was a little, um, a little challenging at first. But then you came about and, and you actually decided that we were going to subdivide that property and sell the house and the land. And can you tell me a little bit about that um, scenario? Because I think that's a really interesting one. Yeah, I will. I'd like, like to mention one thing that I, I, I meant to mention with our uh, 
with our, you know, how we've captured our, our market share, which ties in, which ties into the creativity. And that is establishing pipeline of product. Uh, several years ago, the market had no vertical development. It wasn't going to have vertical development for several years after the financial crash of 2008 and nine. And I, I was having dinner with one of our developers. I said, what are we going to do? You know, we have sure. to figure something out. And out of that problem was born our luxury enclave business, where we now have represented three developers and helped to create, you know, 40 plus, you know, luxury villas uh, between three and $12 million in value. And that has really become the driver for our market share. So the creativity with regard to the pipeline, I just think has been a very important part of our success. And then again, that's a consultant hat, Michael, that the typical broker doesn't know how to, doesn't know how to help with. Agreed. You know? uh, so that's been very important to us. In terms of the, the, the issue in question, you know, we were having a difficult time with the vendor on price and we, were, and we weren't getting enough eyeballs to the property just due to, to the provocative price point. So we, with your help, and actually with Stan Ponte's help, who, set, who was on a call with us, uh, we have an incestuous little business, don't we? It's, uh, is we actually, we Stan alluded to this in his interview as well. Yeah, you know, we work together uh, to, and, and I don't want to say convince, I don't want to say, I don't, I don't want to say to convince the client, but to educate the client that this was a good way to go in order to get more eyeballs to the, to the property. And it helped us to do that, but we wound up selling the whole thing. And then the buyer also wanted the land next door, which took a $22.5 million transaction to a $27.5 million transaction. Another one where I think we, we demonstrated great creativity, and I give the credit to my partner, Nina Sigenthaler, and our marketing director, Denise Douglas, is we were early on the Curate uh, virtual staging uh, app and technology. And the, the, the former Prince estate had been hit by Hurricane Irma. It was unfurnished. It wasn't in the greatest shape. So what we did was we, we virtually staged it. And then at an open house, we had a big screen. Nina put together a big screen, and we had easels with all of these wonderful images of what these rooms could look like completed. And we had the open house, and the very first person to enter the open house bought that estate. Oh, I love that story. And, and it was, I personally met them. They came with Diagingu, one of our top agents who you've met. And it was just a tremendous success story. We stood for five hours. There was not one seat in the whole place, right? Wow. I love that. You know, you produce a great market report. And I think that's really interesting because it rivals what, you know, your colleagues do in, in, in even New York City or Los Angeles or Beverly Hills. And I think it's so well done, Joe. And it's something where it actually really calls to where your position is in the marketplace, where you have over 50% market share in some categories, and in some categories, much more than that. Um, so how important is data to you and to your business? It's very important. And our marketing report is the single most important asset that we have. It is, it represents our four pillars on a quarterly basis, an annual basis, and is really, you know, it really speaks a lot about the structure of our business and shows what we're about. So our ability to, to take uh, the market information, mostly MLS, sometimes off-market stuff as well, and be able to integrate that and integrate that into valuable and relevant information on a timely basis 
and being consistent with it has been the singular most important marketing effort that we undergo. And again, I give Denise great credit, our marketing director, who's religious with this. Uh, it's interesting, Michael, because they say imitation is the most important form of flattery. Sure. And we, have had mo- we have had multiple competitors over the last uh, five to seven years where I've pretty much seen my market report a week later, you know, <laughs> in, a different, in, a, in a different format. But the reality is, you know, you have to take that as, as uh, you know, a compliment in terms of, of what you're doing. And then we do a really... I do a very thoughtful essay at the end of every year in our year-end report. And this year's was very well received. I did a, I, I, I had dinner with Larry Klein, who I spoke about before, uh, my producer friend, uh, who I became friends with through Dick Clark, uh, who I hung out a lot with and w- w- was, was very close with him and Carrie in the 90s and, and missed Dick a lot uh, since he passed. Uh, but Larry's still going strong. And when he asked me that question about like, how did Turks and Caicos differ from what I envisioned? Uh, it sparked it sparked the idea of how I never imagined it would become such a, a, a global luxury brand. And I called it the overnight sensation after 30 years, right? right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's there's there was a lot of work and a lot of toil. And as I explained to people, people weren't calling each other on their iPhones. Or, or texting people on their iPhones, complaining that their internet was down for three and a half minutes 30 years ago. <laughs> you know, we were trying to get in touch with somebody on the VHS radio and driving on a dirt road and running out of water and food at the grocery store, right? And wondering how we we're going to get off the island because there were no flights once Pan Am went out of business, right? Sure. So, so we, uh, the market report has just been a wonderful automated way for us to stay in touch with our audience, whether they be buyers, whether they be sellers, whether they be friends, colleagues in the industry. I know law firms repurpose it. Uh, we have, we, it it's, it's used in a number of important newsletters around the world. Uh, we get incredible traction off of our newsletter beyond just our distribution of our eight to 10,000 people on our database. Uh, so, and thank you for the compliment. Absolutely. And you know, I think it also offers transparency and it goes back to your idea of integrity because when you're looking at Turks and Caicos as really a global brand and you have buyers coming in from all over the world they're actually buying this as a secondary or tertiary property in a lot of cases and you're dealing with the ultra high net worth and when you're doing that and providing the information and saying this is it i mean there's nothing to hide that also strengthens that relationship that you have when you were talking about talent and integrity and brand, where someone sitting in London or Los Angeles and can see that, can see that it's it's just there, you're acting so transparently, that builds so much confidence before anyone ever steps foot in Turks and Caicos. 100%. And I'll, and I'll tell you another thing it does. It, it I, I preach this all the time. It's probably the thing, my, my greatest takeaway from law school uh, was my legal writing uh, teacher, Zom, don't tell me, show me. Don't tell me, That's show it. me. Don't tell me, show me. And I, I take that, I take that in my songwriting world. As you know, I probably recorded a, you know, about a hundred of my own songs and about 170 songs just in my, in my avocation and vocation and my, and one of my life passions. But it's, it's that don't tell me, show me. And the, and the newsletter shows the market. And, and it's the same lesson when you go on listening presentations. Don't give your opinion. Show people. 
you know, and it's very, it's a lesson. And we, and we relearn it every time we do a market report, right? Is it, and I just, I, my, my team gets tired of, I say it probably at four staff meetings a year, but it's, it's, a, it's a very important lesson. And we, we, uh, we show the market and our audience four times a year with that newsletter. And I think that's really, really is amazing. And I know that you and I, whenever we get together, we can talk forever. And that's something that I love about you. And I know we just saw each other in, in New York. And I know that I had a few other questions for you, but I think I'm just going to wrap it up with this one question, which is one piece of advice that you can give someone wanting to enter the luxury real estate market. You've had such expertise and such incredible uh, performance really over the last three decades in an area that you actually helped create as a brand, um, as a destination. And so you have incredible experience in this. So what's the one piece of advice you would give someone? Well, I think it's a really great question, right? And I don't really know if I have a pithy answer for you when I, when I think about this. A funny response would be the Alec Baldwin character in Glen Gary, Glen Ross, you know, ABC <laughs> always be, always be closing. <laughs> right. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, first prize, first prize in El Dorado Cadillac. Second prize is a set of steak knives and third prize is a fire. <laughs> you know, it's, it's right. one of the great scenes in movie history, especially if you're in our business, I consider us the, the antithesis of that. But answering your question directly is you can't fake it. You can't fake it. And as I said before about the celebrity market, it's an evolution. You know, the person has to be a fit with the luxury market. There are people who will, can do 200, 200 sides a year in a lower end market, but just are not comfortable stepping up to that market for whatever reason. Uh, so some of it is like, like if you were to build like the perfect beast for luxury real estate, it would be my partner, Nina, right? Do you know? Sure. Nina's worldly. She speaks four languages. She is incredibly tactful with people. She's got real class. She doesn't fake it. And she's got great communication skills. She's got great follow-up. She's the total package. That's how you achieve greatness and over $100 million in production, you know, multiple years in a row. Uh, when you look at some of the other people that you interview for this, you know, for this podcast, it's probably similar. But there are, there are um, basic DNA that you have to have in terms of your approach has to be more subtle. It cannot be aggressive. Assertive is okay, but you can't be aggressive. You have to be excellent with communication and follow-up, the ethics and discretion we talked about. And again, it's class over crass, right? It's that the, the luxury market and the celebrity market knows when somebody is trying. Sure. There's a difference between trying and being, right? And that they, they know. So I think that it has to be a, intrinsically a good fit. Some people can manufacture themselves into this and, and kind of create themselves into it, just as some celebrities can, right, uh, where they create their own persona. But that's really hard to sustain over a number of years. There has to be a level of authenticity and passion and love for the business and a fit with that particular market that makes sense over time. But again, I, I don't think it's a quick fix. I think it's an evolution. Very rarely do people just enter this market, unless if they were like, you know, the weatherman in Philadelphia enters this market and everybody knows him from 20 years on the weather, right? Sure. You know, there are examples of that, but mostly you have to earn your, you have to earn your stripes and pay your dues. And then the, the, the market will open itself up to you and you'll get clues and signals that 
you're you're ready to enter this market and succeed in it. Joe, I think that was really terrific, really sort of talking about being authentic. And I think that that is something that you certainly personify. You have done so with such integrity and it's really been a pleasure not only to work with you, but to really consider you a great friend. And I thank you for taking the time to do this interview with me today. Michael, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and I'm I'm privileged to be on your podcast and just as privileged to be uh, your friend and colleague in the industry. Joe, thank you so much. And thank you for all of you for tuning in. This is the Global Real Estate Mastermind with me, Michael Valdez. Thank you very much. 